All right. Hello, everyone. This is the With, Where, and Who podcast. Joining me today is Kale Tyson of Nashville, originally from Fort Worth. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, so I know you've um, been in Texas your whole life, but you were originally raised in Fort Worth, and then you went to Nashville later on. Mm-hmm. Um, so as during your childhood when you were in Fort Worth, um, what was your childhood like? Did, was your... Um, did your family have a musical background or how did you, how did Kale Tyson become Kale Tyson? <laughs> <laughs> um, there was really no musical background. My grandma sang, but she was like the only person in the family that really did anything or had like a musical hobby. Um, but I grew up in Cleburne, Texas, which is like 45 minutes outside of Fort Worth. Um, and we moved there when I was like 11. Um, and really, I guess like I was always attracted to music, um, but it took me like getting to like, I would say like eighth grade or high school before I started like, you know, going after it or kind of making it into a hobby that I really enjoyed. And um, I don't know, I just like got into, I've listened to a lot of really bad music. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some stuff that like I still listen to that I was just at the time, like I think um, like bright eyes was huge for me, like my whole like emo phase or whatever. Um, and anyways, that kind of just made me want to start writing. And then I just started writing songs, um, and taking a little bit more seriously when I was like going into college, I guess for the first year. And so, yeah. So when people write about you and, um, whether it's an article or a journal, they'll always mention things like, uh, Kale Tyson is a country artist. He's an Americana artist. Mm-hmm. He's a country soul artist. Um, so there is a lot of musical influences that are going into your music. Right. Um, and growing up um, and me getting that interest during um, your preteens and later on. Um, and I know you said Bright Eyes was one of your biggest influences, but mm-hmm. is there an influence that comes um, off some of the songs, for example, in um, your album that came out a little over two years ago, Careless Soul, with the whole string section? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that record in particular was really like modeled off of some of the country soul stuff that I really dug for a while. I still dig it. Um, There's a guy named Jim Ford that I was just like blown away by and kind of wanted to make a record like that for that. But yeah, I don't, I had a really weird, um, not weird, but I just, I moved to Nashville and I was still making like kind of more folky style music. And um, I ended up meeting a pedal steel player here um who became like one of my best friends and he was like man what you're making like kind of sounds similar to country music and i was like i don't know what you're talking about like i've never <laughs> never thought i would ever play country music my dad listened to country music and i was always like anything my dad likes i'm not gonna like <laughs> um but anyways um he like burned me a cd of like mostly like ray price songs and i was like this is amazing and I'd grown up with it before too. Like my parents always only listened to like traditional country stuff. Um, so anyways, that happened. And um, I just like fell in love with it. Like artists like Willie Nelson and Ray Price and Gary Stewart and all those people. And I just like, I pretty much only listened to country music that was made pre 19, like 80 for like, probably like a solid three years of my life. Like nothing. <laughs> it's just like set in stone that you're listening to this. And nothing yeah. Else. And I just, I fell for it. And I was like, I want to learn as much as possible about this. I want to write songs like this. I want to make records like this. Um, and yeah, it was just like this big period for me. I think it taught me so much about 
arranging um, and writing. Like I still think the country songs are like the best songs ever written. You know, why do you, why do you think that like specifically? Um, as far as arrangement goes, I think well, arrangement goes. I mean, I just I love I love the idea of like verses and choruses, like in country music having like a different instrument come in on a verse and take a verse part and then, you know, I don't know. And then also syncing up like melodies, like doing like having a guitar and a keys line that match up and country music was just always really good for that for arrangement, I feel like. Um, but as far as songwriting goes, I love how it was able or it still is able to encapsulate like a major feeling or whatever and say it so succinctly, but so meaningfully um instead of like you know being vague about it like just going straight in on like this is an honest thing that i'm trying to convey and here it is you know yeah i feel like um with country songs in particular there's just a lot of things you can convey much more in depth than like a regular like pop song about love for example yeah because if you listen to i don't know just any generic pop song it always has like that same four by four, three by four beat structure. Yeah. It's the same theme of like, he broke up with me, she broke up with me, we're getting back together, we're getting back together, we broke up again. Yeah. Um, but with country, it's more like, we broke up, I moved away, I moved here, I moved there. And it's just mm -hmm. going all over the place. So yeah. I think it does, uh, um, and because you said that you were set in stone, um, listening to the same music, did I ever get, do you ever wish you went, could go back in time and be more open to things so your music would be different? Because uh, yeah. I always wonder that about artists, like if they ever, because I have a friend who's just so mm -hmm. set in stone with what he listens to right now that I kind of want to encourage him to like get out more and just see more things. Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing for me is I did spend those three years like only listening to the country and I missed out on all these releases <laughs> that happened while I was just doing that. Um, I don't, I don't really regret it. I, I don't regret it at all. I think I excelled as an artist and I feel like I got a lot of like, accolades that I'm proud of. And I think it made me the artist I am today. Um, but yeah, I mean, I definitely like, I think everyone should be open to all types of music that you like and don't like pigeonhole yourself ever. Um, just because like you're, if you, just because you like one genre, like don't let that encapsulate your entire music listening style or whatever habits and i think i think people should be more open to things too um just yeah. as you were um first time me moving to nashville going to belmont right. you were seeking a degree in music business right and what made you want to seek that um originally um so growing up my dad had told me he was like you can either be a doctor or a lawyer when you grow up my dad's kind of like <laughs> um and so I started off college in Dallas, which was like only an hour away from my hometown. And I had no idea what I was going to do. And I was like, I guess I'll be a lawyer. And so I was going there um, and I was studying like computer science for some reason. I have no idea why I got <laughs> um, So I had a friend that lived in Nashville and was like, I'd grown up with him and made music with him in the past. And he was like, you got to come up to Nashville. Like there's so much more stuff going on than there was back home. And, you know, it's a good place for you to be right now. Um, so I was like, cool, I'm just going to figure out a way to move to Nashville. And that was like, I, at the time I still had no like aspirations of playing music for a living or like making any money from playing music. Um, 
So he was like, yeah, just like go to Belmont and study music business, like what everyone else does here. And so I went back to my dad and I was like, yo, listen, I don't think being in Dallas is good for me right now. I think I need to move to Nashville and I can study music business. And like my dad knew that I was in music at the time. And I was like, in this way, like I can become like an entertainment attorney. Like that'll be my life. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you know, that actually sounds good. Like it sounds like you have it figured out. And here we are now. Definitely not. I know. <laughs> Talking to me about countless albums and music yeah. you've made yourself and nothing lawyer related at all. Yeah, nothing. Thank what's, your, what's your dad think now that you've um, come this way with like articles in Rolling Stone and other publications? Does he I still mean, have the same like sentiments? Uh, he's proud of me. He's still a hard ass, but he's proud. Of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He loved that. He loved that I made country music for a long time because he kind of felt like he had sparked that in me and in a way he definitely did you know growing up hearing it all the time so he feels like there's an impact then yeah yeah he's proud of it that's really good yeah yeah now being in texas i do have to ask this um one of the most famous things in texas other than um ellis presley's house other than sweet potato pie peach cobbler is bucky's Bucky's. <laughs> Bucky's. Yeah. So Bucky's, um, for anyone who's, um, I'm from Atlanta, so I know about Bucky's just from friends, right. but Bucky's is basically advertised as one of the biggest gas stations in America, selling everything from beef jerky to pralines. So if you go, this is just completely random, going into Bucky's, what are five things you have to get immediately? Okay, so this is tricky for me because Bucky's didn't exist whenever I lived in Texas. Really? Yeah. Once, because I moved in 2010, and maybe they, maybe there was one like closer to South Texas, but there were none in Fort Worth. So I'm still kind of a Bucky's newcomer. I've only been to Bucky's really? like maybe like five or six times. It's so funny because my friend who's from Pearland, Texas, mm -hmm. um, she said like, "Is there a and like the first time she ever came to Atlanta, which is where I am at right now?" Mm -hmm. She just asked me, "Ivan, is there a Bucky's anywhere?" I'm like. What is a Bucky's? <laughs> and she basically explained it to me. And I'm like, oh, that's Quick Trip. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. I can talk to you about Quick Trip. I oh, okay. Up on Quick Trip. I I'm a Quick I'm a Quick Trip person myself. So yeah. I'll what say is, my. What are your five like things or three or five things that you've got to you got to get? I don't know if there's three or five, but I when I was a kid before school every single day, and this is so unhealthy. Once I like got my license, I could drive. I like would go to QT every single morning and get. They had like those big like. Basically, it's like, it's like a kolache, but it's huge. And it's just like a sausage stuffed in bread with like jalapenos and cheese. So I, good. I know exactly where those are. Yeah. Yeah. I, like every single morning and drink a monster energy drink. And I don't know how the hell I'm still alive, honestly. <laughs> um, I love those. I love the taquitos. They're so good. Um, yeah. Pretty solid. I think I, I think those are my two biggest highlights of QT. <laughs> I love QT so much. Like, cause like when I was in high school, um, mm -hmm. I used to work like a dead end job at a movie theater, and I would yeah. get out really late at night. And the one of the only places that would be open was QT. Totally. And so I would just go there, like, get like all uh, the big Q, and it was like summertime too. So yeah. seven nine cent like big Q is a way to go. What is so it was a Q? You've never had the big Q? I don't think so. What is that? What? <laughs> it's, it's basically like a large, ver it's so the size of the drinks are 
whether you're getting a fountain or like a slushie is like small, big Q or XL. Right. And big Q is basically just like a really larger version of the XL. Right. And it's like 79 cents. You fill it up with whatever you want. I think it's like a dollar more, or I think it's just like a dollar if you get a slushie. Yeah. But I would get like one of those every single night I was leaving and they had like regular fruit flavors, but I would always get like the energy drink flavor that they had. Yeah. Which is the worst idea. <laughs> like thinking about it like late at night. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's, that was my go-to at all times. And mm. I get like the pizza and bratwurst too, like occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> but it's always, that's always my go-to. Yeah. For sure. That's, yeah. Is QT like a big thing in like Texas or is it just, um, you, is it just a favorite pastime you've had? It was, I don't know. It was just the closest gas station in my house in Texas. Gotcha. Yeah. And I don't have them in Tennessee. I guess I've never seen one in Tennessee. So I, in Atlanta, they're just everywhere. So everyone's just yeah. like, even if you're filling up gas, it's always QT pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Man. But it's funny. Yeah. Uh, so um, with your recent release, Narcissist, um, you have a whole shift of music um, tone as well, mm-hmm. because listening to Careless Soul, it's more like Americana. There's the soul element. There's the horn element as well. Mm-hmm. And then, and it's pretty positive too. Like, yeah. Then when you go into narcissist, it just feels sad and lonesome <laughs> and glimmer. Lum- like, are you okay? Like, is everything okay with your life right now? No, like- I'm not. <laughs> no, I'm fine. Um, yeah. So basically, I've always written. I think even Careless Soul is pretty sad songs. Um, just because I like sad songs more. I've never like sat down to write a song and been like, I'm in a great mood. Like, I'm gonna put that on paper. It's generally like, I feel terrible. I want to like do something, make something positive out of this like bad feeling. Um, So basically the thing behind Narcissist was I went through like this really bad breakup this last year and um, I hadn't written like any songs all year long. And then it happened and I just like immediately wrote like these three songs and I was just like, and I recorded them all. Like I would write a song in my bedroom and then I would record it in my bedroom like the same day. So they're pretty much only like three days went into the making of this record. Um, but it just like, it felt like something that was important to me at the time that encapsulated a way that I was feeling. And I just like, and also I thought that, and I still think that like, it's like three of the best songs I've ever written. Um, just from a standpoint of like pure honesty and like being completely um transparent about what i'm going through or what i was going through so yeah how do you feel about artists that try to do that but they aren't as that as they think they are or people that like kind of have the perception of thinking oh like this artist isn't that good because they aren't making this yeah when they were like sad like yeah how does that, how does that make you feel like as the artist Mm, I mean, you know, I don't really try to compare or like judge other people for what they're doing. I mean, everyone's, mm-hmm. I mean, you're, we're in literally one of the most like ridiculous, um, like put yourself out there for people to just either hate or love like <laughs> forever. So I try never to like really make any judgments about other people and what they're doing. Um, to me, so I'm 27. Um, I'll be 28 in like two weeks, but I have this. Oh, happy early. Thank you. Um, I'll actually be 22 tomorrow. Yeah. So, yeah. 
I have this thing where certain artists will blow up that are a lot younger than me and people will talk about like how like the songs are so like sad, but they're so like, you know, honest about all this stuff. And my thing lately is I feel old for the first time in my life because these songs will come out and be like, oh yeah, like I remember when I was going through that. <laughs> oh, so it's, it's, like a, it's like a prepubescent phase for young artists. Yeah, and I, I still love it. I think people are making awesome art. It's just funny because for the first time I like, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember having that problem for a while too. Like, oh, once you're like 25, you'll you'll be over that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's a struggle for some artists too, um, who are young at that age and mm -hmm. are still like trying to like reinvent themselves. Like, mm -hmm. especially with like people, the person I think of is Aaron Carter. Mm -hmm. um, just because if you ever listen to Aaron Carter, like songs before, yeah, like he's basically manipulated. I I I think at least like manipulated from a young age, like within the music industry to make certain songs for that age demographic. Right. And he's still, he still performs, but as a 34 year old, but I don't know how much I want candy or I be checked, like resonates with his audience at this age. Yeah, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just weird. I don't know. You never know what kind of art you're going to make and if it's going to be how long it's going to last. Like I literally, the single that I put out from this, from the upcoming EP, like has the word Instagram in it. <laughs> like, Probably like one like, day, <laughs> like what is he talking about? What what is Instagram? <laughs> it's like it's yeah. like in the internet, like Library of Congress archive somewhere, like yeah, exactly. hundred years down the road, they're just gonna be like, my grandkid. What you asked me about it? <laughs> what you mean, what was that word that you said? Uh, but yeah, I, don't uh, know. I love. I do love. Like I think in the world of like music right now, there are people that are making. Um, songs that are like so just matter of fact and just like almost stream of consciousness type stuff where you're allowed to say things like Instagram in a song, you know, it doesn't have to, not everything has to be like some kind of like super metaphorical symbols of poetry, you know, and just sometimes like the best way to say it is just to say it, you know? Well, people have a lot more lyrical freedom they than um, they had way before in the past too. Right. Right. Um, that all comes with like, the, with like the different ways to share music too, because right. I know like with like even like the Beatles like like when John Lennon said like the Beatles are bigger than Jesus or was just an uproar like tearing down their music. Yeah. And then like years later you have like Ariana Grande literally having a song called "God Is a Woman." Yeah. 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 <laughs> Maybe the whole thing the same thing will happen with Instagram too, where no one's gonna care or like or some people know what that is down the road. Yeah. It's all like, I don't know, timely. I don't really I don't really pay much mind. If I'm writing something, I just write it how I want to write it and it's there and I'm happy with it. It's the, it. I never like think about, I mean, maybe I do, but very rarely. I think songwriting is just a purely selfish act for me where it's like, I'm not doing this for anyone but myself. <laughs> I'm not gonna like go back and edit something based on like, Cause also I'm not like in the pop world. Like I'm not expecting anything to be like some radio hit. So just like, I like this, so whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Does it ever scare you um, when um, journalists or um, publications like the Rolling Stone mm -hmm. um, ever take your name in a wrongful way against you? Uh, if that makes any sense. What do you mean? Like if, like how they like define your genre like 
he's yeah. an Americana artist. He's a country artist. Um, because yeah. you are like all over, all over the place musically yeah. in a way, but still like in the context of, um, country. Yeah. Um. Is that can so like if you got big to a point where journalists would take your name out of context or mm. or put libel or slander on you, like yeah. What do you think is like the best way to handle that personally, or how do you think other artists should handle that? Um, because you've been in this industry for yeah almost, I mean, for a good bit. The only thing that like I deal with with that is like I've been trying to ditch the persona of a traditional country like Hank Williams throwback artist for like two years now, <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's been really hard. And it's just now like starting to slowly unwrap um but yeah i mean in terms no one's ever said anything like hurtful however i will say this um Ooh. website called savingcountrymusic.com i don't know if you're familiar with that i'll search it right now yeah. it was like this website that um it's this dude that's like super opinionated um and he like writes reviews about country it's always like some traditional country artists or whatever um but back in the day he did a review or like just talked about careless soul after i put it out or when it was going to come out um and he was nice about it but like he is like his website's notorious for having all these commenters who are like so mean <laughs> really i'm just on the website right now and i see just like a string of comments for like each thing so i'll just click on yeah. is it like with anyone really or is it just like specifically yeah, like, anyone the one for me though was like brutal like people were like so unbelievably mean um just like calling me like a hipster and a cowboy hat and all this stuff and i was like yeah like kind of <laughs> <laughs> but i don't know i mean my thing is like you know they always like don't read the comments don't read the comments um, that's but, a good thing though like yeah I don't think anyone can be meaner to me than I can be to myself. So I'm like, I'm okay with it. <laughs> there's like, there's a string of 48 comments on this. So props to you for like, are you just ignoring the whole thing? Yeah. I just yeah. typed in Kale Tyson just to see like what it was. And yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I'm trying to remember what my favorite ones were like, someone was like, Oh, a country soul record. Like how original or something. It's like, mm. also that record two years to put out which was crazy so whenever we had made it we we're like cool no one else is doing this right now and then by the time it finally came out like six other country slow records came out like in the prior year. <laughs> <laughs> cool. i'm just reading one of the comments right now and i don't think you can validate your own like hate hate message if you spell the word poser wrong p-o-s-e-u-r <laughs> oh my god that's just so stupid though like I don't know. I feel like we've gotten past the age of like people like commenting on the internet and just arguing these things. Yeah. I don't Probably not. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, hey, it's as they say, it's bad publicity is good publicity in that case. Yeah. 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 What took you? Um. What made it take so um long in that two year span to put up the record? Um. So the music business sucks like 99% of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, this was like the first like real full length record I'd ever made. Um, and, you know, I like finally was like putting together a team or whatever people. And we thought that we were going to get a record label deal for it. And so I had like a lawyer who was sending it out and shopping it. 
and he shopped it for a few months and then like we were pretty sure that something was going to happen so this was just a, a whole cluster situation i had a record label in the uk clubhouse mm -hmm. yeah they, how do they help out they they well they've done a good job um they basically like they got me over there for the first time they released two of my eps over there it's like a full length and it was amazing like had plays on bbc and stuff for a few what? years got to go in and That's like insane be on one of the shows yeah it was nuts um <laughs> it helped out a ton over there but anyways i had like gone to them and been like yo i have this record that's done um, and they're like, we really will need you to come back over here and do a tour because I think it's important to go over there, you know, yearly or something just to like stay present and still be on the scene over there. So anyways, we were like pretty sure that this record was going to get picked up. And so I went to Clubhouse and I was like, you guys can have it for UK. Let's release it at this time. So they release it. I tour on it. I tour on it twice over there before it ever came out over here. So basically we shopped it around here for a while and then i had like numerous things where it was just like so close but just never actually happened you know um so finally we we're like we just have to get this record out but it had already been out over there for like a year and then it came out here it was just kind of a bust just because like you know i don't know it, the strategy didn't work um you're trying to release it like at the same time almost yeah i think i mean that would have been the goal <laughs> that would have been the right way to do it because anyone who was a fan of mine here i'm pretty sure was like able to like order it from the uk and get it early anyway yeah so, it's just like one of the many problems like with the music business i mean it's, it's a, you know some people because you have that background too so like do you yeah. feel like you have like an insider or you have like an advantage over other artists to know exactly no. what to do no. so I don't think anyone knows what to do. I think it's so much about, it's about luck, but also it's about, I mean, it's about making really good art that's timely, that's like gonna hit at the time, you know? And I don't know, I, I think that that record was good, but I don't think it was like at the time, like what people really wanted or like what labels and all this stuff really wanted or saw, um, which is not to say like, I'm not proud of it, it's just, a lot of it's like luck and knowing to be in the right, not even knowing, just being in the right place at the right time or making the right record at the right time. Um, so I don't know. Better like next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So when you're learning about this stuff about the music business though, and because mm -hmm. your answer like kind of like just at yeah. me that you just, it's all about luck. Yeah. Um, did you, when you're just pursuing this music degree, did you think about, it being luck back then or did you think like it was just like all logistical um i don't know i mean i don't think i thought about i didn't i never while i was in college i really never thought about actually having a career in music like my self-confidence or in my music was like low at that time <laughs> and so like i never really paid attention too much to to me it was like going to college just like to retain information and also i got music business but it was mainly production stuff so it was mainly like learning about oh, okay. stuff like that. Gotcha. So um, everything kind of behind the scenes before and album yeah. comes out. Okay. I, I think I took like I had like copyright law or something, but it wasn't a lot of stuff about like, so if you want to be an artist, like here's what to do. You know, it was mainly just like, this is some information about the music business. The only thing it made me realize was like, God, I do not want to work in the music business. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, and would you prefer just being um, 
independent then, or would you sign to a major if given the opportunity? Um, God, I don't know. I, I definitely would like to have label support right now, um, just because without label support, it's all coming out of your pocket every single time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, then I just sell like every guitar I own and a bunch of stuff, and then I make a record, and I'm kind of getting. I'm not getting tired of it. Like I'm fortunate enough to do it, but it's like it would be nice to have label services involved in terms of money and in terms of, you know, just furthering my career, getting my stuff out mm-hmm. to more people. There are some labels that are like insane with like what they do for some artists sometimes. Yeah, like I um, worked at this music festival in Atlanta called Music Midtown, mm-hmm. and. I was like part of a live nation, just giving out like the tickets and everything. And these guys come in and they're like, hey, we're picking up our um, VIP tickets. I'm like, okay, what's your name? And they tell me their name. I look in the system, I find them. And one thing or another couldn't go right. So he, the guy just takes out his phone, shows me his text messages and he's texting his friend, Kendrick Lamar. Oh my God. And I'm like, like, just like, this is like BS. Like, I don't believe any of this at all. And so next thing he shows me is this video from Vice or like Noisy, which is part of Vice. Yeah. And it's just like him in a video and they're doing a documentary on Kendrick Lamar. And I'm like, all right, you're good. But he told me, yeah, but he told me that the label, Kendrick Lamar told his label to pay for his flight to come out to Atlanta to watch him perform and go backstage. Wow. All like label. Isn't that crazy? Like nuts? Like, how much oh, like yeah. power they have? Yeah, it's almost like scary power too, though. Yeah, no yeah, way. Yeah, I mean, being on a major label, I can't even imagine. I mean, I, I think it just—I don't know, man. I, I hear so many horror stories also about being on like a big record label or whatever, about you know just having to give all your rights away and stuff. Um, but I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't been presented with too many deals, so I'm not really sure what I would do when it. I mean. Um, it would be a lot of figuring stuff out. If it was me, I'd have like, I'd make sure like if I was in your position, I'd make sure to have full creative control mm-hmm. over the project. Totally. totally. Would that be your like number one thing too you're looking at? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I told you earlier, like I do this only because it makes me happy. <laughs> like, <I> yeah. <laughs> Which is highly important, obviously. Yeah. I don't think that I would be swayed into doing anything I didn't want to do, but yeah. So when you're in the UK for the first time, what's the biggest thing you see from those audiences there and the audiences back in the US? Okay, so um, whenever we went over for the first time, it was me and just um, my buddy Pete was playing guitar and singing harmonies with me. And we went over and we had literally no idea what to expect at all. Like I didn't know if I was going to have any fans over there or anything. And uh, they booked us this like three week tour and we go to the very first show and it's like sold out completely. What? <laughs> and it wasn't like a huge room, but it was still like, I think it was like 150 cap or something. That's still good. Yeah, oh, it's great. Uh, <laughs> that's really unexpected. And so we're like playing and it's super intimate. Like um, everyone's seated. Um, and we get done with the first song and everyone's like completely quiet the entire time we're playing. No one says a word. Get done with the first song and there's like this moment like maybe like two second pause of silence and like i remember like looking at pete and we were both like oh god like <laughs> <laughs> and then like everyone claps but like the thing there is like 
especially for like that crowd, that audience, the whole Americana fan base or whatever, they're super respective and super respectful and super like just attentive and quiet and and here it's I've had like maybe like a handful of shows like that. Whereas over there, it's like every single show, almost to a fault sometimes. Sometimes you're like, guys, please like have some energy with us. Or else like, I get nervous. Like it was that quiet. Um, so yeah, that was a big difference to see. Like it just, it wasn't rowdy at all. But people cared so much more, it seemed like, about the songs and about like the f- actual lyrical content and stuff. Um, it wasn't just like, yo, I love that one song you have because like, it's fast and it's like has a cool pedal steel line and like we can dance to it. It was more like we love that one song you have because like I've been there before and like I understand that like line in the second verse like really like means a lot to me. It's like, oh that's cool. I like that. So yeah. Where were you specifically in the UK? Um, touring. Everywhere. We hit like the booking agent just like tried to get us as many shows as possible. So, I mean, like, big cities were, like, London and, like, um, like uh, Manchester. And then we went to, like, Scotland and played, like, uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow and stuff like that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, that first tour was, like, maybe, like, four bigger cities. And then the rest of the shows were all, like, these, like, towns. They were, like, tiny towns. Like, <laughs> one that was, like, literally, like, in the countryside. And I think the entire town came to, like, come watch us play. It's kind of ridiculous. Um, but yeah, it was fun. I got to see pretty much all of England um, <laughs> for like the first time. So that was tight. You had a near death experience too um, with the train. Is the that correct? Tra- uh, I'm trying to figure out which story this is. Is this the one um, where you're driving and you're, you nearly, your car nearly got hit by the train, hit by like a speeding oh, train? That was, that was in Texas. Oh. <laughs> that was a long time ago. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're good. Yeah. Yeah, that, um, was, that was a long time ago. Did, have you ever had any experiences like that again or near death touring wise? Like, nor touring wise? Because like touring is like exhausting. I feel and like I'm near death all the time when I'm on tour. <laughs> <laughs> Constantly on on my deathbed. Um, nothing extreme. I mean, I've, I got like really bad bronchitis on this last tour I went on that just oh, no. go away. Um, Do you just cancel shows or you just like go through with it? I went through with all of them on this last tour. Oh my time. God. Yeah. Because um, I was opening for a guy. So I made it. It was fine. Um, but yeah. I tend to, I'm going to get better at this, but I tend to not be very good to my body when I'm on tour. I just don't, you know, like no one under, I don't understand, but like a lot of people don't understand that like it's rough on your body. Like you're in a car all day long and then like you get out and you're at a venue and like you get a drink at the venue and then like you play music and then you get another drink and then you go to sleep and then you wake up the next day and you do the whole thing over again. And uh, I don't know. I tend I tend to probably drink a little bit too much on tour. <laughs> <laughs> there are people that like tour, like not even bands, just like people who tour like all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I like actors and actresses, and I don't know how they do it to themselves. Like The Rock. <laughs> the like Rock. if you follow if you follow him on Instagram, like that guy is not human at all. Yeah. Like he will fly to Tokyo, like 
set up an elliptical in his hotel room, have his own like private like resistance gym there, train, go to work, shoot, do press, fly to another country, do that again. Like I don't yeah. know because like I've like been on like backpacking like hiking trips before. I'm like, okay, it's been a day, like or two days, like I'm done. Yeah, totally. Like, I don't I don't understand like I, I don't understand yeah. at all. <laughs> yeah, man. it's I don't know. And anytime I'm on tours so far, it's been pretty much rough in it. So nothing, no flights really. Pretty much just being in the back of a van and staying, hopefully, a hotel. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's taxing. It's very taxing on your body. But it's, I mean, it's worth it. It's what you got to do. So, yeah. yeah. Just, how does your sleep schedule go um, as far as short drink? Um, not good. <laughs> <laughs> not good. Usually, I mean, it just depends, you know, because sometimes you got to drive after the gig. And so you like won't get to your hotel till like two in the morning, three in the morning, and then you have to wake up early the next day and get to sound check on time. But then Sundays, you won't have anything to do and you'll sleep like twelve hours. So it really just depends. <laughs> um, but yeah, I make it. I survive, which is nice. So. so from Texas to England and all over the UK, you've been. Have you been anywhere else at all? Um, yeah. Wise, where have you been? I've done Europe. Um, I've done two tours that were like all, not all, but a lot of Europe. Um, we did like Germany, Spain, Switzerland, France. Um, I'm trying to think where else, like Belgium, Netherlands. Um, so yeah, it's been good. I've done like two pretty long tours. I think I did it for two years. I did it both times for like a month each year. And it was always like, April, May, and which was like right whenever the weather starts to get nice in Nashville. And I would go and it'd be freezing cold in Europe. <laughs> You're like, damn it. But um, yeah. I love it. I love it so much. I need to get back. I want to do it again. England's really cold too and like always rainy. Oh, yeah. So it's completely different from Texas or Nashville or Fort Worth oh or anywhere. I hardly made it through that three week tour in just England. I was just like, oh my God. God. <laughs> Did you get the right clothes and like dress appropriately for the weather? Uh, you know, it's actually funny. I was on tour over there. Probably, I probably didn't the first tour I did. And then I went on one one time. And actually, we were in like the Netherlands, but the weather was still pretty terrible. And um, I had only brought like cool jackets, like jackets that I thought looked cool. And, <laughs> uh, they were like, they just didn't work. They didn't keep me warm at all. And like, none of them were like weather resistant. So I remember, like, right before the gig, I was like, I have to get a jacket that's going to work. And there was some, some shop that's, like, maybe, like, five minutes away, and I just walked, and it was the first shop I could find. And it's, like, pouring down rain outside. And I was like, cool, like, just that jacket. And, like, pointed at one. And it was, like, this super ugly, like, puppy. <laughs> and it was, like, 300 euros, I remember, which is, like, the most money I've ever spent on a clothing item in my entire that's life. That's a lot of money in, like, dollars what? for U.S. dollars. That's my Europe jacket. Anytime I go back to Europe, I bring that jacket with me every time. I'm like, and you'll never have to buy another jacket again after that, too. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so you're technically States, which is kind of interesting, but yeah. So you're technically saving money, I guess, doing that. Maybe. I don't like know. it depends on how many times you go over there. Yeah, exactly. I need to get back and really get my money. Yeah. Back. It's fun. Yeah. I have family in England, so I go there once every two or three years, and it's cold and rainy, but it's just. Like you said, like the small towns, like they're so community driven. They're so respectful of everyone, like super nice people. Oh, totally. And I love going there. It's fantastic. Yeah, I miss um, 
I miss donor kebabs. That's my favorite thing about over there. Donor kebabs? Yeah, that's like my guilty pleasure. It's basically like a fast food. It's like street food, pretty much. Oh, I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, so good. And like the pita. I miss it. Can't get that in Nashville. Yeah. There's some things like in England that are just, they have over in America, but it's just so much better. Like, Mm -hmm. Me and my um a couple of friends were having a conversation about this earlier, but like just burgers in England, mm-hmm. no one ever talks about how good they are, but they're really really good. If you've ever had one, yeah, I feel like I have. I feel like I, d- I didn't make much of an impression on me, but maybe. May- I mean, I don't know, because like I always, because like the cows, they have a, they raise all the cows like they're mm-hmm. grass fed and like already like there since it's such a like grassy like cow driven area anyway yeah. with lots of wildlife. Right. Um, but also fish and chips as well is just oh yeah so good so good yeah. yeah it's you did you have that when you went over there oh yeah absolutely. oh yeah 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 did you get it from a shack or like in a restaurant um both I think you know we spent Perfect. so much time over there that we had yeah. chips from pretty much everywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so with um also going back to your music after the whole conversation about England and fish and chips yeah. and all that. <laughs> um, your first um EP, High and Lonesome. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the pro? So, and this is your is was the the first piece of music you've made, or have you made music in the past that was unreleased? Uh, I released some stuff before that, but hopefully no one can find it. Into <laughs> <laughs> the depths of the internet. What made you um wanna or what was Tell me the story of like how Highlands came to be released as your uh, first official first official EP. Yeah, so I this was like right during right as I started like getting really into country music. Um, excuse me, and I was um, I was kind of like starting to find like a crowd in Nashville that was doing the same thing, and um, somehow I like, came across. Kenny Vaughn, um, who played on that record, and was just like, okay, I have all these songs. I think I was actually planning on making, I was, I was planning on making a full length. Um, but like, we originally went in and just like recorded these five songs in like a day at the studio. But I called Kenny Vaughn, I was like, yo, like, I know we've only met a couple times, but like, I'm making this record, do you want to play on it? And he was like, yeah, I was like, also, do you have any recommendations for other players? And so he pretty much just built this band. We went into the studio and made it. And uh, yeah, it was cool. It was definitely my first like Nashville recording experience where like you're at a studio, everyone has their number charts in front of them. They not, you, they play the song like twice in the second take. They're like, all right, cool, what's next? Um, which was a wild experience for me, having never done that before. Um, but yeah, and then I think like I went to another studio in Texas to try to write or to try to finish it, but like it just didn't, the songs didn't match each other. So, um, so yeah, that's how that's how that one came to be. It sounds like Nashville um, is one of those places where everyone kind of knows everyone within the music industry because you're saying like, oh, well, I know this guy, then this guy knows this guy. Um, and moving um, to Nashville from Fort Worth, um, I understand that for the first year it was hard, um, but then after that, um, what made it get easier? Uh, finding your people, I guess. I feel like it's probably that way anywhere. Um, but yeah, the first year when I lived here, I lived in a house by myself. And like the friend that I had that I moved here because of moved back to Texas like a week before I got here. 
So I like <laughs> love some people. But yeah, I mean, I guess it was just like you find a community that you like and you're around people and then like, you know, and Nashville's cool because the community that you find usually is like people that are like making music also and they're doing similar stuff to you. So then like you kind of are able to, everyone's able to kind of expand on their interests and grow together as a community. Would you say that's just um, the biggest part of the scene or is there a lot more to the Nashville music scene that a lot of people don't know um, looking mm-hmm. on it from the outside? There is, yeah, there's a ton. I mean, there's a lot, in, <clears throat> a lot of like kind of unexpected stuff. Like Nashville's a really big like um, psych rock, kind of punk rock scene, um, which I didn't know about for a long time. Really? Yeah. yeah. I'd, never, I'd never think of that. Like, because when I think of Nashville, I always think of just like, Elvis, country blues, right? Like psych rock is never in my lexicon for it. It's big here. It's like surprisingly big. Um, I think like the whole. I think probably. I mean, I don't know. You know, Jack White being here and like having Third Man here, I think was big for kind of like rock and roll music to you know be in Nashville. I think it was always here, but that probably helped. But I mean, also you know there is a huge like Americana is like the big thing or a really big thing here right now um which is cool um and in terms of other stuff i have some friends that are making like some really really cool music right now it's like more on like the indie kind of spectrum but there really isn't a ton of that here right now and i think it's going to grow but it's it's kind of quiet as compared to like new york or la or something like that bigger city so yeah yeah, because like with Nat, I think it's the same thing. I've talked about this before on past episodes, but Atlanta's kind of the same way where it's like you move to Atlanta mm-hmm. um, to pursue your your music dreams. And for the first year or a couple of months, it's going to be kind of rough. But then like everyone's so inclusive in this community that it just yeah. becomes so much easier. Totally. And I'm sure Nashville, I'm, like from what you're saying, it sounds like Nashville's like the same way in that regard. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, people are, Everyone's nice. It's the South. <laughs> yeah. I'm, it's the same way. Like we're kind of small, like not be nice. Like if you're not, if you're an asshole, like everyone's going to know about it because this town's so small. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Everyone's nice. There's like also, there's a lot of like, I don't really deal with it anymore, but there used to be like a lot of like, I felt like there was a lot of competition, but like a healthy competition where like, you know, someone would be killing it. And then everyone would be like, damn, they're killing it right now. Like, I got to work harder, you know? Yeah. Um, so, but you were all friends at, like, at the end of the day, despite the conversation. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And everyone roots for each other. It's never yeah. like, never a negative thing. Um, and I think it's good. I think it's good to, like, especially, like, coming onto the scene, it was good for me to, like, be around people that are way, way, way better at music than me. <laughs> to, like, <laughs> you know? So You kind of, like, got to, like, it makes you work harder in a way then. Yeah, exactly. He said, yeah. yeah. So when you're starting off in this music scene in Nashville and getting your EP and now your um, album Careless Soul released in 2017 mm-hmm. to now having um, an article posted in Rolling Stone, mm-hmm. what was that reaction or gut feeling like when you got asked by Rolling Stone or Rolling Stone just randomly put your music on their website? Um, like, was that always a dream of yours to get on Rolling Stone or was it just like, no. it just happened out of the fluke? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really a fluke. I uh, I had, you know, I, I have a team that, like, definitely, like, reaches out to publications. So if we're going to premiere a single or something, then they will 
reach out to all these publications and say like, hey, listen, do you want to premiere this? Um, and I actually do have a connection with a guy at Rolling Stone Country. Like basically oh. Rolling Stone Country is like their new like subdivision thing in Nashville. Um, and I know a dude that works there and I know he's a fan of mine. So he's always been really sweet about, you know, helping out and putting stuff up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think like publicity, like getting good press is like a really good feeling. Um, but also, uh, I think that the, the excitement of it kind of wanes after a while, you know, <laughs> like now I'm like, I'm still stoked about getting like any kind of good press I can get, but also I'm like, okay, cool. But like, it, it just doesn't have the same excitement energy level that I used to get from it. Maybe I'm getting jaded. I think I'm getting jaded. Uh, but it is awesome. It's amazing. Like literally if you would have told like me at like age, even like 21 about like the people that would have written about me or reviewed my music or, you know, cared at all, I would have been like over the moon, you know, and I still am. I'm so grateful. So. Yeah, well, it's good that's happening. I guess it's good in a way you say you're jaded from it because yeah. not to make it sound negative, but it sounds like it's happening a lot for you. Yeah. And that's a good thing um, yeah. in that way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. When you're, um, so when you're recording an album for the first time, um, what's your writing process like? Um, it's, I think it's always been kind of different. Uh, you know, sometimes. Sometimes I'll write, for, I usually don't write for an album, I guess. I usually write just, I'll, you know, over the span of months, I'll just write a bunch of songs and then hopefully they all like tie to a certain theme that will be for an album. But most of the time it's just kind of random. Um, but yeah, I usually will sit down um, <laughs> with like a sheet of paper and a guitar and just like, sometimes I'll write the guitar part. Usually I guess I'll probably write the guitar part first or like just a simple chord structure and then write lyrics from there. Um, but yeah, I'm actually doing kind of a weird thing right now where I'm, I started working on a record recently, or I don't know if it's gonna be a record or an EP or what it's gonna be, but uh, I'm working with this dude where I don't have any songs written right now for the record. And we just go in and we like make a track and then I go home later on and write lyrics to it and record them at home. <laughs> which has been really crazy to me. Cause usually before I go into the studio to make a record, I'm like, cool. These are like the 10 songs I want to do. Let's go in. Like we have this amount of time. Let's make this record. And now it's just like a wide open kind of thing. It kind of rules I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's good though, that you have like a different um, variety of like how you write songs yeah. and put them into the studio. Yeah. Um, just because like it gives you, um, do you feel like it gives you um, a refreshing start whenever you make a record so you're not doing the same thing over and over again? Yeah. Oh, totally. And, like, you know, you learn also, like, what you do like versus what you don't like whenever you make a record. Like, like we were talking about earlier, for High on Lonesome, like, that was, like, a straight-up studio session where it's, like, we knocked out five songs in, like, eight hours or whatever. And it, there wasn't a lot of, like, going back and, like, being like, well, like, maybe we could, like, tighten this part up or maybe we could have come up with a better melody here. It was just, like boom, here it is. It's like putting it out in the world, just like that. Yeah, and that was the same with Careless Soul too. And then, so I've been working on new projects since then that I've been way more like, all right, today we're just gonna focus on one song and I'll go in and we'll like, it'll be like three people and we'll just 
like figure out drums first and then we'll go to bass and then we'll like try line on like the Wurlitzer, like, you know, just like um, taking a little bit more of a detailed step-by-step approach rather than just, here we go, record. And I think I like that more. And I, I'm not saying it's the right way or anything, but I think lately that's been the way for me to really like feel like I'm getting the most out of a project. So. Yeah, it sounds like um, there are ways um, of writing. Because I know with Narcissist, like you said, you went through that breakup and you hashed those three songs out. Mm-hmm. And they're really fantastic, by the way. Like oh, it's, it's, yeah, of course, for sure. Because yeah. I'm listening to Carol's, Carol's Soul, and while it still has that country feel to it and that mm-hmm. 20 feel to it in some songs, yeah, you go into Narcissist and it's like, this is a completely like reinvented <laughs> artist. Yeah. Way. Yeah, it's great. I hope people all are getting that feeling. Um, I found out about you through Reddit, so that's just through Reddit. Yeah, someone um, there's a Reddit sub, there's a subreddit called um, Listen to This where people post like music they like and all that. Mm-hmm. And I was just going through and it said, um, Kale Tyson, and I clicked on the first link and it was um, your what was this? I'm like blinking out right now. Not healthy anymore. Not healthy anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to that. And I was like, this guy's. <laughs> great like oh, that's awesome i'm like it's funny too because like i'm um i love I, I like country but i don't like always like seek it out like i'm not like in maybe it's because how country's marketed like yeah out, like yeah. yeah yeah but then i'll listen to like deep press of like not that she's a country artist but like joanne Baez or mm-hmm. johnny cash as well who is country and then i'll hear you and i'm like this is like what i want to hear in country music yeah totally totally when you um think of like these but you said cheesy country so what do you define as cheesy country uh i mean i don't know there's like there's like the modern country thing where it's just like trucks and tailgate parties and you know drinking beer i think that's really cheesy um i also think it's kind of cheesy and and i did this so i'm like (laughs) such a was this like some of your old recordings that were never released no no i never wrote like that but I, i did like I would like dress up all the time in like ridiculous like shirts and stuff and be like, cool, look how country I am. And then like, I was kind of like one day I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm literally like putting on a costume to go do this thing. And I don't know, it's just kind of funny to me. And I think that's a little cheesy. Um, it's almost like a stereotype though of like a country artist in yeah, a way. It is, is. It totally is, totally is. And th- there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I just figured out it wasn't for me. <laughs> <laughs> and so with your style of dress, it's more like a modern approach um, mm-hmm. to how people dress now, but with country, the country twist on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is with your um, various cowboy hats that you've worn yeah. over the years. Um, so this is a question specifically about cow- cowboy hats. Mm. Um, what do you think makes a great cowboy hat? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I haven't worn a cowboy hat in like over a year. Uh, I can tell you what my favorite cowboy hat was whenever I was wearing them. This is like so cliche. Do tell. But like the Stetson Open Road was my favorite one. And that was just like because it was like shorter and like wasn't in your face like this big cowboy hat. But I don't know. I don't know. I haven't done it in a long time. <laughs> I have a cowboy hat story if that makes up for um, yeah. you know doing it a long time. So one of my um, buddies, um, he's a lot older than me, yeah. but he was performing um, just country in this like bar um, yeah. with his like 
Rinky Dinky Cowboy Hat um, on. And that same night was a Brad Paisley concert. Yeah. Just down the road. Yeah. And so out of nowhere, Brad Paisley just like walks into the bar. Oh, wow. And everyone's just like, is that who I think it is? And so um, he goes over to my buddy and he says, and at the time, Brad Paisley's like wearing this like Bud Light hat that they paid him like money to wear and all that. Yeah. Um, And then Brad Paisley says, I will trade you my hat for your hat right now. Wow. And he just did. So that's amazing. My buddy owns his hat just off the bat. <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. yeah. And that goes on to like just people who are selling out. Do you think, um, what do you define as like an artist who sells out? Um, and what do you define as someone who is using a company mm-hmm. but says they're not going to sell out because of their own personal views or likes towards the company? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. Selling out is such a, a weird thing. It's a very broad term. Yeah, and like I think you know, people choose to do stuff for the right reasons usually. Um, so I don't know, and I think that's more in a world that I'm not really in. I don't think I've ever like been friends with someone who quote unquote sold out. It's usually like <laughs> I think calling someone a sellout usually is like a, a jealousy term. <laughs> um because we're all like, we're trying to make a living from art, which is like impossible in the first case. So if you get an opportunity to make a living and, and maybe you do have to sacrifice some sense of yourself, if you're okay with doing that, then like, I mean, so be it. Like you have to make ends meet somehow. Um, but when people call you like on Saving Country Music, um, when they call you like a poser and a hipster, yeah, um, like they're probably thinking like, oh, this guy's a sellout. Yeah. And like, what way do you like back that up for yourself as an artist? I don't think, I don't think that would be a sellout as much as that would be like saying I'm a poser or whatever. And you know, like the thing is, that's what irritated me so much about the country music genre or like the world of traditional country music was like, there's so much of this like emphasis on authenticity that like you couldn't like make it unless like you were a country boy and like you grew up on a farm and all this stuff. And like, that wasn't me. And like, I didn't, Honestly, like I didn't delve into country music till I was like 20 years old, 19 years old. So it was like, <laughs> I was like, no, that's not me at all. I don't drive a truck. I don't do any of this. So like in a way, whenever they call me a poser, I'm like, yeah, like you're right. I am a poser. I'm not like, just kind of, like take it as it is and just like yeah. deal with it. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty good way to go. It's fun. I think self-deprecation is the ultimate defense. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Like I feel like um, for like a lot of kids like now or like people that are growing up and that are made fun of, like, I think they should just own it no matter what. Cause it's not like, yeah. Cause like all these comments, like on this one article, I don't even matter and still don't matter. Like ever since it was written. Yeah. I think it's a bunch of old white dudes sitting in their computer. <laughs> it's like, I'm just, Yeah, I'm just like looking at all these comments right now. Like one's name is Biscuit, one's <laughs> usernames like Yeah. I think I actually had some friends that posted yeah, there too. <laughs> maybe. Some weird stuff. <clears throat> I mean, they took a long time writing the stuff out. So <laughs> if it makes you feel any if it again, I know you're like yeah. it's not affecting you at all, but like Yeah. They're just working hard to make something out of you in a way. Mm-hmm. If you look at it like that, 
totally totally <laughs> yeah it right. takes an effort to be mean on the internet <laughs> yeah i mean yeah it, it, it could just have it framed up in your wall like you know, yeah, like exactly. a nice picture frame so I like, like food for thought yeah i like that a lot i like that my little wall of shame <laughs> yeah it just like motivates you to make good music yeah. as you always do exactly so i asked this for every artist um that comes on um what was your best and what is your worst show um throughout your career oh boy um let me try to and you can start with the worst one if you want or best yeah. <laughs> um there's been a lot of bad ones let's see uh oh, this probably isn't the worst but this is one of the worst ones um i was going on tour this was like 2017 maybe um and i like put together this amazing band like my dream band i was so excited we like had these rehearsals i had a guy my bassist was from LA and like he flew in to do this tour. That's dope. And the very first date was in Lexington, Kentucky. And I'd played there before and it had always been kind of bad. Um, but <laughs> I like promoted this tour as much as possible. I, like had like ads and whatever, like trying to get people to come out to these shows. And it's the very first show of the tour. And we get there and it's like a restaurant bar, which is already never ideal for music venue um and we start playing and there's like an opener play before us and we get up and we start playing we're like literally like supposed to play for like i think we're supposed to play for an hour 15 or something and we're like 45 minutes into the set and there's no one in there at all there's like the opening band and their friends oh God. and the sound guy comes up to us like literally mid songs like yo like no one's here just stop <laughs> it was like the oh. of like a three-week tour and just like morale was immediately crushed um you said it was the fourth date the first the oh first yeah god yeah it was rough i mean did it get better yeah it got better okay like that's that's that, i mean at least it wasn't like the final show of the tour where it's just yeah like, then you did yeah. never just linger on and linger on yeah totally and then i don't know i don't know about best shows but my favorite show was actually on that tour and it was like ridiculous we were in new york city and we played at this hole in the wall like bar called skinny dennis um it's like the one like country theme bar like in new york i mean i'm sure there's more but this is like a big one um and you basically are playing like on the ground and it's super rowdy and we were supposed to play for like four hours or something just like as like a bar band but a bunch of people came out to watch us and um we got just so drunk and on the very last set i like lost my voice completely <laughs> and the <laughs> player i had to like sing all the songs for the rest of the set and it was just amazing it like didn't matter it was just, like so much fun um but yeah i don't know i love shows like that where it's like super raucous and everyone's just having fun but, yeah that's really great yeah. so that just brings us to our final bit um before we leave, um, do you have anything else you want to say, promote, um, share? Um, listen to the new EP. Yes. Narcissist. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I love it a lot. And uh, is it already out or is it coming out February 1st? February 1st. February 1st. Yeah. So Narcissist will be coming, Narcissist will be coming out February 1st by Kale Tyson. All right, so that is the With, Where, and Who podcast. This has been Ivy Lickenstein with Kale Tyson. Thank you for tuning in, and we will see you all on the next one. Awesome. Thanks. Bye. Bye.